0: Okay, let us pray um, and really set aside this time for God and His Word to speak and to influence our life. Father, thank you so much that you love us so much. Thank you that you have not left us alone. Thank you that you have sent us your Son um, to die for us, to rescue us. Thank you that you have sent your Holy Spirit to comfort us and to be with us, and thank you so much for your word that still remains, that we get to open up um, the Bible today with words that are uh, relevant to our life, but also that gives us a snapshot of your providential plan for all of us. So we commit today into your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Hey, I am really thrilled uh, about our new series and our, and our theme. We're so committed to help you understand the book of Revelation. What can happen sometimes, I grew up at church, and what can happen sometimes at church is that everybody just likes to do the popular topics. We're kind of entering the emo phase Uh, of, of FGA. And I love what we're doing with the decoration. So we've gone for this big contrast from the white flowers through to the death. I gave them, you know, like one mandate. I like, oh, you know, the book of Revelation, we've just covered all the fun stuff. And then now we're getting to the God destroys a third of the world and all kinds of death and destruction is happening. It's the apocalypse, right? And so, that was like my briefing, and, and then they go, okay, okay, well, let's just go all black and so fantastic. Fantastic. I'm hoping it'll help us to sort of settle in. But one of the things that you have to realize about the um, I guess our approach here at FGA is that I, I'm very, very keen for us to be biblically literate. That means that our Christian life is not influenced just by popular topics, things that that would get people to show up, that we're not just tackling the the candy cane side of Christianity, but rather that we're systematically over time. You know, maybe even if you um, spend a lifetime maybe at FJ, some of these guys, uh, some of you I've taught as a Sunday school teacher all the way through, you know. And so last year we did the book of Genesis, and this year we're doing the book of Revelation. Um, I want to encourage you to open up the Bible, even to the parts of the Bible that are just not nice to look at. They make it very, very, very uncomfortable for you to explain Christianity to somebody else. Um, And then our goal as a church is to really help you process that and understand. Because I actually think that we don't have a lot to be afraid of in the Bible that Christianity is better off exposed and out for people to evaluate and see and that's really been the the ethos behind so many pastors and so many theologians and so many Christians across uh millennia that's why that's why there's so many critics of the bible because we basically open up the bible it is linked into our real world and you can like refute it if you actually can refute that Jesus Christ was never around and he never rose from the dead, or whatever, then it actually makes Christianity a bit of a sham. And so what I love about Christianity is, it, and the Bible as well, is that you can open it up and evaluate it for what it says. I want to encourage everybody as well, like we are kicking off a new home group series. We're doing our home group leaders training uh, this afternoon. But if you've been doing the seven letters Uh, with us. We're starting a new home group series. If you're not in a home group, now is a good time to join the home group because we will probably, more than the Sunday service, we will be unpacking the book of Revelation, the tricky parts of the book of Revelation. So much goes on at FGA outside just the Sunday service. And then also in the Sunday service, you know, like next week, we have a guest speaker. I've given him a topic. Maybe we'll hit it broadly we'll cover it you know and so I want to put it to you that you want to augment your Sunday service attendance with more of the life of church so that you can get a bigger uh, sense of what God is doing in and through us okay broadly so it's called the end game because we're trying to figure out what is God's end game right where is all where is all going what is God doing at a broad level and um I thought instead of going through all of the different controversies that are in the book of Revelation and and really we're in a we're in a book where there's a wide range of interpretation that's available and and look it's possible to know about something and not know everything about it so if you imagine the people living in the Old Testament as they saw the prophecies about Jesus right it It was really hard for you to be living in that time, pinpoint that Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem and that would be Jesus and it would be so hard. But what happens is it does come to pass and then you can look back with much more clarity. And so what we're going to do with this series is understand the book of Revelation thematically. That means I'm going to try to say things that all Christians agree, that everybody can get when they read the book of Revelation, you can get the major thrust of the big points of the book of Revelation. Then, even sitting in this room, maybe even in my own house, we might all disagree slightly on the edges of it. Because we're dealing with a prophetic book. All right, We're talking about things that no one has ever seen and we have not lived through yet. So, here's a quick recap uh, about the book of Revelation. I just want to, if you uh, have joined us since the beginning of this year, you would have seen us cover Revelation. We would have opened up with the seven letters, the seven love letters that the home groups have been doing. And then we went into the Throne Room series, which covered chapters four and five. All right. But broadly, the Bible can be seen in five movements, creation, covenant, Christ, his church, and then consummation. And I don't think you can get a good Understanding of the Bible. If you just go, the Book of Revelation is too hard, and so you just stop at all the letters to the churches, uh, the epistles, and the like, and then you just you pause and you just go, too crazy, too hard. Uh, In fact, what I think is that if we were to actually cover these major movements in the Bible, you would get a better sense of where we are placed in the world and what God's greater plan is. And sometimes in our day-to-day struggles, in our day-to-day issues, it is helpful to understand that we sit in God's providence. So what does the book of Revelation reveal? It's Revelation, right? What does it reveal? Providential, eschatological, and apocalyptic things. All right, and we covered that uh, a little bit earlier on. I'll just summarize it. Providential just means that God, you know, pro and video sees ahead. Eschatological just means end. And this is probably uh, the, the best summary I can give of the apocalyptic genre of that the book of Revelation is written in, all right? It is, God is guiding history, right? So it's providential in nature. God is guiding history to a final goal. It's not a mysterious random goal, which God himself will bring about in the near future. God has something to do about with it. Right? So you see all the initiating by God, the opening of the seals and things happen. Okay. So God is guiding his tree to a final goal, which God himself will bring about in the near future in a particular way. It's, it's just as Jesus came into the world in a particular way. Anytime you play around with our real world, you've got to get into the particulars. Anytime. Because our world is full of details, full of real people with real events. And so Jesus came as a real person in a real event, in a real place with real things happening. And the world will end in a real way, in a real people, in in a particular way that he himself has revealed. That's a summary of the apocalyptic genre of the book of Revelation. But why should we even put any weight on it? Why should we even care about the book of Revelation at all? Like, I might as well have been reading you poetry from some famous poet. Or why why should we? And I want to make the case that biblical prophecy, biblical prophecy, not YouTube, not Facebook prophecy, um, sits in a special place. That we have seen in our global world history Biblical prophecy been given. And then thousands of years later, multiple authors later, they're not not all coordinating. These are written, they had been encoded into a culture of a people even who expected a Messiah to come. And so I think... The Messiah and Jesus, as, as an example of many of the other prophecies, but of the best example is probably Jesus Christ himself. That the last time prophetic words were written that were a little bit hard to understand, it came true. And so then it, it is on us then when we read prophetic words about the next phase of God's end game that we should take heed to these words, so you know I don't want to go into it. we did that earlier on this year, but prophecy examples would be he'd be born of a virgin, he'd be a suffering v- servant, you know all the way even to he'd be born in Bethlehem, all the way through to his genealogy, how he would die, how he would be pierced on the side, various other things and you can go through and see how biblical prophecy has been tested in our real world. okay so When we look at the themes in the book of Revelation, another thing that I'm going to be doing is, and this is all the preamble, so we've got you know the whole month of this, so I'm going to try and set us up as, as best as we can. Um, we're going to be looking at the book of Revelation with a Hebraic lens. What that means is that we're going to try to see these cycles and these types and these echoes that occur in the book of Revelation. No theologian actually actually believes that The book of Revelation should be read and is literally chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four, chapter five, chapter six, and those are how everything is going to occur in the end times. All right? Because it's a symbolic book. All right? The genre is symbolic. So what you see is cycles and types of things that actually we have seen before. In the Bible, and what you see in um, the Old Testament. So, why I call it a Hebraic lens is because it first started in the Old Testament, and the, and the the I guess the Old Testament has these cycles of us sinning, then repenting, then God forgiving, then us sinning again, or or maybe there's these types of Jesus Christ that that you know it's like Jesus but not really quite Jesus, and then and so you see these things repeat and repeat and echo all through the Bible but also all through our lives. So much so that we can do the book of Genesis last year and call the series Only Human or whatever it is. Because some of the issues that are brought up in the book of Genesis, we are still dealing with in our world today. That's how relevant the Bible is. It's not become so obsolete. If you think about um, some of the books you read, maybe in 2,000 years, nobody's going to read that book or the Endgame Avenger series, maybe 2,000 years later, no one's going to watch it. But the book of Revelation and God's Endgame, oh my goodness, has inspired hundreds of millions of dollars worth of artwork and has been looked at for thousands and thousands of years, all right? So anyway, there are these cycles, there are these types, and they echo. They just think of repeating patterns. Why is that? So that when we see something that we have never seen before, that we can never describe or comprehend, we have somewhat of a reference point. So one way you could look at it is the whole Bible, in many senses, culminates. All of history culminates in what is going to happen in the book of Revelation. So that if you look carefully through it, you will see repeats, cycles, types that hint towards what that is going to be. So that it's not a complete surprise for us. All right? Um, Let's look at our anchor verse for the whole of this year. Uh, You you may not know this, but I'm hoping, you know, we're still in the early parts of the year. So... um, This year we're looking at Revelation 1, 5 to 6. Revelation 1, okay, I've just been untethered from control. Um, So Revelation 1, 5 to 6. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, uh, so our theme is faithful and true. The firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings on earth, and then we go to him who loves us. And that was the seven love letters that we looked at. To him who loves us. And then the end game series broadly looks at these next few words. And has freed us from our sins. How is that going to happen? By his blood. So has freed us from his our sins by his blood. And made us a kingdom. Priests to his God and Father. So this whole, the whole end game is about how, what is uh What is God's endgame? Where is God taking us? He's making us a kingdom. A new heaven and a new earth. He's making us a place where we can dwell with Him. That we could be priests to God and Father. That we could be relating with Him. That's what priests do. They relate. God and man. Okay. So, um, so you get a sense of that from our verse. Okay. Okay. Let me very quickly then also go Revelation. I've got a lot of preamble to cover because it's been a while since we've done the book of Revelation. Okay, so here's a quick update. Chapter 1 to 5. Chapter 1 is the intro. It introduces Jesus Christ. It's got all these qualities that are repeated in the seven love letters, right? And then the second part in um, 2 and 3, you get the letters to the churches, which are love letters. Go back and look at that series. Then chapter 4 and chapter 5 is the vision of the throne room. And now... After all of that preamble, which was quite kind of interesting and I feel fun, um, we get into the real dark parts of the book of Revelation that begin with Revelation chapter 6. And today's topic is good versus evil part one. Good versus evil part one. It's a major theme. Okay, again, I am being pulled out of... Okay, you may need to just uh, run it over there. Um, okay, so good versus evil is a major theme in the book of Revelation. Just in case you think all of life is gray and it doesn't matter which way you land, whatever it is. That's not what the book of Revelation says. And actually, a whole bunch of things then turn out eventually black and white. Good and evil because we do end up with the judgment of all things Um, okay and I can't control proclaim at all so it's you cool thank you so much Um, let's begin let's begin the whole topic by asking ourselves um, what is mankind's biggest problem right now. I feel like if we think that the world is a perfect place and that we have no issues, then when you read the book of Revelation, everything is just a little bit too drastic. And everything is a little bit just unnecessary or unneed, not needed. So I think first let's begin with a very accurate picture of the world that we live in. What do you think are mankind's biggest problems? And I want to encourage you to write that down right now. So, as we go through this, just write down now. If you're going to write down the word sin, just cancel it right there and then. Okay, that's cheating. That's, that's like that's like me running Sunday school class and everybody saying Jesus. Right? Let's be a bit more. I mean, it's kind of correct, but let's get into a little bit more detail than that. What are the actual? problems, right? Uh, what have, what has mankind been trying to solve for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, but we haven't made any progress in it? Maybe is it, you know, we've uh, just come back from a mission trip. Um, maybe it's uh, global poverty, right? And you got, you got your Philippines in there and we're going and helping them out, but we're still not solving the poverty that's in Philippines and that's just one country. Maybe it's because government, is mankind's biggest problem. You know, like animal farm or whatever it is. You, you, you vote somebody into power and then they're just going to have power disparity and they're going to abuse their power. Maybe then that leads to slavery, right? And then it's powerful people enslaving other people in a range of ways, whether that is um, into uh, child labor, through the sex trade, through the, a range of things. But maybe it's not even the slavery. Maybe it's not people's fault. The, the, the government's fault, maybe it's demand, right? It's the consumption that drives the demand for slavery. Um, and so maybe it's porn. Maybe the, the, the mankind's biggest problem is greed and our constant need to get more and more things or to use more and more stuff. Maybe it's t- truth that even in 2019, we can't tell what is true and what is not true especially if it comes into our technological devices, right? Maybe it is the natural world that is mankind's biggest problems, that the environment is our biggest problem, that that everything is um, decaying. And maybe we're part of the reason why it's decaying so fast. Maybe mankind's biggest problem is death. So anyway, whatever you guys wrote down, just keep one in view because mankind has a lot of problems and we are nowhere near close to solving it. In fact, some of the problems that I've listed have gotten worse in our generation, in our time, right? So we've we've probably seen the most number of people in slavery on the history of this planet, mainly because there's a lot more people in this planet now, but still, we're, we're still seeing that. So maybe when you consider all of our problems and maybe a, a problem has come up and it's rubbed up right against you, um, you would ask the question, which is the primary question I want to deal with today. Why would a good God allow bad things to happen? If God was so in control and if the book of Revelation... It's God moving everything to his end game, right? And supposedly this God calls himself good, right? Then why is it we can just rattle off a hundred bad things around us? And and that's not even getting specific. Um, I, I think this the answer to this question will help us grapple with some of the texts that we're going to read when we get into the book of Revelation. Just, uh, uh, I want to encourage you to read the book of Revelation. And so I'm just going to get through some of the really tricky parts, like right now. Let's read Revelation 6, so that we all know what we're talking about. I don't want to like sugarcoat stuff. Okay, so now you've got the throne room, and, and 6 goes, now I watched when the lamb opened one of the seven seals. Just gets the seal, opens it up. All right. I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come! And I looked and behold a white horse. Oh wow. my goodness, white, that's great, a white horse. And its rider had a bow and a crown that was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. Not so good. Then he opened a second seal, and I heard the second living creature say, Come! And out came another horse. These, by the way, are the four horsemen of the apocalypse, right? So broadly you already know this is not going to be good. Um... And, and out came another horse, bright red, and its rider was permitted to, to remove or to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. And then he opened a third seal and the third living creature said, come. And I looked and behold, a black horse. That's why we've got like white, black read um, in some of our theming, right? And it's right ahead a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius, three quarts of wheat for a barley, of, of barley for a denarius, but do not harm the oil and the wine. Just a quick heads up if you don't know what's going on there. Um, uh, a quart of wheat for a denarius is very expensive. They think about 16 to 18 times the price of wheat, okay? And then don't harm the oil and wine basically means the things that the poor people or commoners need become very, very expensive. And then the things that the rich people can afford, oh, don't touch them. Don't touch them. That's what's happening here, okay? So don't harm the oil in the world. Oh my goodness, we wouldn't want rich people to, you know, have to pay more for their oil and wine. Then he opened a fourth seal. And I heard a voice of the fourth living creature say, come. And I looked and behold, a pale horse. And its rider's name was Death. (sighs) See, now I'm liking why all our theming is like black. It's so cool. Okay, And Hades followed him. Oh my goodness. Why are we even reading this in church? Okay. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and with wild beasts of the earth. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who'd been slain for the word of God and the witnesses they had borne. And they cried out. So the people of God, they're crying out, O sovereign Lord, holy and true. When? When? How long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then they were given a white robe and told to, to hang on, rest a little longer. Until, and this sounds so bad, right? Until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete. Those who were to be killed as they themselves had been. So hold on. It's not bad enough. More bad things need to happen. Then. Then. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and and now nature gets involved, right? And the sun became black as sackcloth and the full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit shaken by a gale. And the sky had vanished like a scroll that was being rolled up. And every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones, all the people with power, the, the generals, the rich, and the powerful, and every, every, everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves among the rocks of the mountains. Now, just to be clear, like, these, are not, these are not my words. I'm not like... Making this up. Okay. Um, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? Okay. Like, I don't know what kind of Bible. Preachers who say, oh, Christianity is fantastic. And you're all, everything's always going to turn out super amazing. And like, I don't know what kind of Bible they're reading because it's certainly not these verses from this chapter. So something is going on here. Something is going on here. We can't just cut out parts of the Bible that we don't like. Okay, so why would then? And this is just, by the way, I've just finished the cycle. i finished a typical cycle. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven 7 begins the opening of the next section. Right? If you're, if you're trying to work your way through the book of Revelation. All right. So anyway, book of Revelation kind of goes like that again, 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 again. You're going to get a lot of what I exactly read. Okay. Why would a good God then allow bad things to happen? A- at some point in time, if we're very, very honest... You have asked this question. For some of us, the answer to this very, very question has marked the end of our faith. How we've answered this question is pretty much the reason why our faith died. Or maybe your faith is right now dying a slow death because of the answer to this question. Maybe because... You dislike this world. Maybe bad things, the bad things that are in the world are rubbing up against your life. It's happening to you. It's affecting you. And you are wondering, why would this good God, who calls himself good, allow bad things to happen? Maybe you you don't even think that God himself may be necessarily bad. But if He's so powerful, why does He allow bad things to happen, right? So you might think, oh, God Himself doesn't Himself do bad things. But if He's so powerful, if He could stop everything, right, why couldn't He just stop all the bad things? So these are big, big questions that kind of plagues us. But isn't it true that when you ask this question, when you ask this question, why would a good God allow bad things to happen? Isn't it true that we are usually focused on the bad that is out there? The bad that is outside of us, whether it is other people, whether it's the government, the abusers, the liars, the cheaters, the scumbags. Isn't it true that when we ask this question, we rarely ask the question then, why doesn't God judge me? Because we, we tend to, there's a tendency in us to ignore and play down the bad or the evil that is in us. The the inherent question of how could a good God allow bad things to happen is so emotional that we are often blind to our bias, to that question. It's it's so we we don't want all the bad in the world. To disappear, there are a few bad things we kind of indulge in. There's a few, you know. It's not that bad because it's my it's my badness. It's not all those ridiculous bad things that other people do. When we wish for God to deal or or or, or, or differentiate or judge the bad things that happen to resolve the bad things in this world, we. Uh, Inevitably, I think bias because of that emotional nature of it, and we we view it outside of us. We 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 take um. We sort of step aside from it. We we don't ask how could a god, good God, let me happen. How could a good God allow me into this world? Me with my free will, with my intelligence, my love of life. Me who makes bad things happen and who does bad things. Let me ask you a very honest question. Have you, and we don't need to go into the deep theology of anything, okay? Like, let's just be very, very honest. Have you ever done anything bad? Let's just begin with that question. Don't worry about the theology of all those things. Just answer honestly yourself. Have you ever done anything bad? Or have you ever wanted to do something evil? You've wanted to do something evil, but you've not done it because you're so scared that you'll get caught. So the consequences of when a judge comes to catch you The consequences is what stopped you. But actually, if there were no consequences, you'd just cheat on that exam. You'd just speed through the red light. You'd just go through. Have you ever ever had that? Because I'd be willing to bet that's all of us who've either done bad or really wanted to do bad. So we're not so quick to ask, why doesn't God judge me? There is evil in me. And so, how do you think that collectively humanity gets to the way it is? It's comprised of people who are the same flesh and blood like us. So, if we're going to be solving the problems of humanity, at some level, we're solving the problems of ourselves, who the sum total of us then becomes humanity. If the, if, if the plan, and you know, I got to have an Avengers um, link in there somewhere, right? Okay, if the plan, and I'm sorry if I'm spoiling Infinity War, but oh my goodness, it was a year ago. Okay, so like if the plan was to just snap away from existence all evil in the world, right? Because I know that's kind of what you're thinking. Why, why didn't God do that? Well, then we would be snapped away. Make no mistake about it. There would be no one, zero, no one to ask the question, why is God allowing that? Because only robots would exist. Only people with no free will, intelligence, and choice would exist. Gone would be people who could, of their own volition, ask even that question. Because every one of us who answered that question, have we done something bad, would be gone. That is the inherent problem with the question of us as creation trying to judge a God. Who made us? When we ourselves are not good enough, lest we ask to be judged and we are judged on the wrong side of that snap. That's that's what we have to get as a as a, a inherent understanding before we even open up the book of Revelation. Otherwise, the book of Revelation really, really doesn't make sense. If things are so amazing and we are so good and everything is so amazing, why is God doing such drastic measures? So instead of the big snap, God does the hard, often uncomfortable work of changing us from the inside. It's like pulling out weeds from its root. It's like a surgeon who has to go in and cut out the cancer. The surgeon has to distinguish what is cancer and what's the good part of a person's body. You've got to distinguish the good from the evil. Do you know what that's called? Judging. You have to make a judgment at some level. If you're going to deal with inherently the evil that's in us, there needs to be some level of judging. Otherwise, the alternative is a blanket solution which obliterates all of us. You know, John, John knew this really well. John, who wrote the book of Revelation, but also one of the disciples, wrote uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. He saw Jesus. Jesus, who came in the flesh. Jesus was surrounded by evil. He didn't obliterate all the evil that was around him when he showed up on earth. He's like, oh, I'm here, like, showed up in lightning, snap, everything's all gone. You know, I'm Jesus. I've arrived. Everyone's all, no way. He was surrounded by evil. He knew the depths of evil. In fact, evil touched him to such a degree that he died in the most violent death. I, 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 I'm reading this really, really good new book, actually. Uh, it's called Confronting Christianity uh, by Rebecca McLaughlin and She's got this quote in there, which is so good. It goes, At the cross, the most powerful man who ever lived submitted to the most brutal death ever died. To save, the most powerful man, to save the powerless. Christianity does not glorify violence. It humiliates it. This means that In Christ, despite all the worst of the evil that could happen, God would go through all of that with the goal, actually, of saying that it's not that powerful. It can be defeated. And that we can be saved. You know, I'm reminded, I'm going to try and keep it pretty anonymous here, but... um, had to keep things anonymous at FGA. Anyway, uh, I, I think it must be like a year or so ago, I, I met this family. They came in, visitor, uh, and they were looking for a, a surgeon who um, attends our church. And I met this family. I think was, uh, I was talking to the, the guy or maybe his wife. Anyway, we were chatting, and he was saying, oh, you have to, is this surgeon here? Did he come to church this Sunday? I need to find him. Because this guy saved my life. And I am talking to this guy. He looks, you know, a little bit weak. It's not like. And, and he was saying he was in such a bad state. But it was only because of that open heart surgery, because of what took place, that he was able to deal and resolve these issues that were inside of his body. And he was willing to pay a price for it and come out alive and healthy On the other side. And I think unless we have that view that we as humanity is sick and broken. And then us as individuals, we're sick and broken. I don't think you can actually approach correctly the book of Revelation. Let's go straight to the end game, right? This is the key passage for the whole of series of Endgame, it's the key passage we're going to be looking at in our home group series as well. I really want to encourage you to go into the home group because that's where you'll have more of a discussion around these things. Okay, so Revelation twenty, we're at the end of the Bible, with the end of the Book of Revelation, um, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying. So this is, this is the why, this is the where we're all going, right? I know, and I know our stage is black, and I know I just read, you know, uh, Revelation chapter six, but I heard. A loud voice from the throne saying, behold, this is what is supposed to happen. This is that actually the dwelling place of God is with man. And and he will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And I want you to ask this question how do we get there? It's not as simple as you would imagine. Otherwise, mankind, ourselves, with our robots and our ideas and our creativity and our different cultures, we would have created a utopia. We would have created a world where there was no more death, mourning, crying, pain. Why are we nowhere near that? That Melbourne, once one of the most livable cities in the world, has one of the highest rates of depression and suicide. How can that be? How are we tracking to that goal? And so that is, that is, that's the book of Revelation. It's the journey to like get us there. That's what I'm trying to, Help us to understand, okay, um, that that vision of God with us and us with God is the end game. But how do we get there? Because there is evil in us. You know, it, There needs to be. There needs to be a consideration of the past and our past actions there needs to be a reckoning. Oh my goodness. But then we will say, you unfairly judged me. Can I, um, I'm going to take maybe another 10 minutes. But if I could just make this a little bit more personal for all of our lives, right? Um, I didn't start out as a pastor. Uh, some of you, you know this. Uh, I, I grew up here in the church. I was just, you know, 19 and I worked as an accountant. So the understanding of companies And accounts, good. The understanding of people, not so much. Okay. Um, But have you ever talked to an abuser? I had never until I became a pastor. Then I've talked to a few. Have you ever talked to somebody who systematically abuses his wife while coming to church and smiling? Have you ever had that? Because I have had that conversation several times, unfortunately. The nicest people you can imagine. And then you talk to them. They don't want the past and the considerations of the past and all they were to catch up with them. They don't. So when you sit down and you talk with them, their recollection of actual events that occurred is very different So you hear things. I I hear things like, oh, oh, I I, I don't know what came over me. You know, you know, Pastor Chris, you have to understand. I am not like that. I really, really love her. These are things that you hear from abusers. By the time I'm in the picture, by the time I'm involved in that picture. For one of the people I met, it was about 20 years of abuse. The other one, it was about 10. You know what? You're sitting there saying you're not like that. I'm thinking you are like that. I'm thinking everyone in the room who hears this story thinks you are like that. That's what happens sometimes when we get so clouded and so misguided with our own sin. Our own bad in us that we can sit down and just recall events differently. You know, domestic violence has to end. In particular, it has to end with church-going, mild-mannered Christians who profess the love of God. It's just got to end. But can you imagine thousands and thousands and thousands of years of mankind doing all kinds of terrible things to the planet we've been given, to the people who we're supposed to love, and to a God who made us? Now, I want you then to ask. Because once you get the perspective right, it's a whole new different question, I think. Once you account for all of that, then you get a glimpse of this thing where we are like that guy who's been caught out. And we go, we're hiding fall on us, hide us from the wrath of the Lamb for the great day of the wrath has come and actually which one of us can stand? Actually which one of us can stand? You know, remember Revelation chapter 5 where um, there's the seal and there's this big angel and the angel is saying, who can open this Who's worthy to open this seal? And then there's crying because nobody can do it and then... He hears of a lion, a mighty lion. And then when he looks, John looks, he sees a tiny lamb that was slain. The lion and the lamb. And he comes and he opens that seal. What's the big deal about opening the seal, the seal that that just precedes all of chapter 6 that we read? It's because whoever opens this seal has to deal with the gunk and the dirt and the mess that is sealed up or covered up in it. It's like a surgeon who who has to go in and unfortunately, there's a lot of damage to being done. Like I'm not a doctor, but oh my goodness, I don't even like a needle poked into my arm. Like by the time you're cutting up somebody, you're poking around in there, that's a lot of damage being done. Like I've got a cousin who's an anesthetist and I thought he puts people to sleep. He's like, Chris, I keep people alive. I keep people alive while the surgeon's like just mucking around the person's body, right? Because so much damage gets done. Actually, actually, when you're going in to a diseased body to try and fix it, so much easier to kill the person or snap it away. But then you don't get the restoration, the hard-won restoration. And salvation that is in view. So. Seems really tough. Matthew 19, 25 and 26. And we're just at the beginning of the series. Can I encourage you? Like, I know I haven't answered all the questions. And I know it's probably more a can of worms than anything right at this moment. But we're going to go through the major themes in the book of Revelation. And, and we had to open up some pretty dark uh, pictures. But. But Matthew 19, 25 to 26, you know, the disciples, they're wondering, like, if it's, like, so bad, honestly, who then can be saved? Who then? We're talking about the real salvation. How? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, like, this whole passage has a different light in view of the book of revelation actually so jesus looked at them and said with man this is impossible that's why that's why jesus is so key because if it was possible with man do you not think we would have done this by now with man this is impossible and i know this verse oh my goodness this verse gets misquoted So many times because they think Jesus is talking about you getting the A plus or being able to buy a BMW or whatever. I don't know, whatever it is. But Jesus is not talking about that. Jesus is talking about the impossible things that mankind could not even do. But with God is made possible. Alright? So I want to end today like this. I want to give you an actual opportunity. To be dead honest about your life and the state of your life. Mine included. Um, Well, all eyes are closed. I'm just going to, I I really want to pray for you. We cannot go into this series, I think, having the standard, you know, I I grew up here in Australia. Um, We can't have that standard. I am, I sit above God. I judge the whole world. I am the, I know, like God just doesn't meet my standards. You know, God's not the kind of God. Like, I think if we're going to go through this series and we're going to actually open up the Bible to see what it has to say for us, there has to be at some level, some honesty. Some kind of authentic recognition that in that we are somehow very very broken and that there are these things that are impossible for us They are just impossible for us but with God it is possible with God came at a terrible price actually came at a terrible price Not cheap. For Jesus himself, and I want to put it to you, for humanity itself. None of these things are cheap. One of the themes that we'll cover going forward is counterfeit versus original. And one thing you'll discover about counterfeit is it's cheap. The original is always expensive. So if um, today, while all eyes are closed, if you want to take that first step in saying, I need you, God. And you want to, you know, just as a very first step, you want to begin a life of following after Jesus Christ. And um, we're happy to have a conversation with you afterwards. I know I haven't done a fully, a full explanation of the gospel yet. But if you are recognizing that you need help and you want to turn to God while all eyes are closed I want to give you an opportunity right now you put up your hand I want to pray for you and I want to talk to you after the service so if that's you if you're sitting here and you're going I need God in my life can you put up your hand today and I want to pray for you right now okay I see your hand I see see your hand I see okay great I see the many hands here Father, I pray for each person who's put up their hand. Lord. Um, I thank you, Lord God, that you love them so much. I thank you, Lord God, that you understand so much the difficulty of what's going on. And I thank you that your, um, your answer is not cheap. It's not cliched. That your answer is not easily won, but that it is all-powerful. I pray, Lord God, for each person who's put up their hand, Lord, that they would, um, that you would show up for them. Lord God, that that today would be a turning point in their life, that as they take steps towards you, Lord God, that you would reveal yourself to them. In Jesus' name. Now, if that was you, if you put up your hand, I really would, I'm going to stay back here. I would really love for you to have a chat with me after the service, because it's probably not enough to just put up your hand in a church service. And then know nothing about God or the Bible that he gave us. So I want to give you a Bible. I want to talk to you about it. Okay, but then just for the rest of us as we close, um, I want to open up the altar. So you can go out, you can get your food. Uh, If you pre-ordered, you know, your food will be waiting for you. But if you need to deal with sin in your life, trust me, I've been a pastor here, literally here at FGA for 15 years. And there's all kinds of evil that goes on. You would not believe it in our own church. So if that's you, you need to come up, and some things need to be confessed, and some things need to be dealt with. All right. And so I will also want to encourage you as we end this service that you are also welcome to come up. You, I will pray for you. Our pastors, our pastors will pray for you. You can make an appointment. We can talk to you about it but you need to do something about the sin in your life because it's wrecking not just your life, but those around you, all right? Father, I pray for today. Thank you for your word that changes and affects us. I pray, Lord God, that uh, today we would not uh, walk out of here unchanged. I pray for every person who's gonna come out here, every person who's gonna go back home and reconsider the the true state of their life. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would convict us and that as a season, our church would go through um, a good, authentic look at how much we need a Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless. Hey, can I encourage you uh, also on Saturday, please do come here because we are not the only evil in the world. Part two is Satan is there. And the prophetic workshop on Saturday is going to be covering some of these topics. So please, please, we've flown Cheeto all the way here. Come on Saturday for our prophetic spiritual workshop. God bless.